What is up? I am Evan Lovett, and welcome to my new podcast, In a Minute with Evan Lovett. This is an Odyssey original brought to you by my company, In a Minute Media, coming to you live from my studio in the heart of my favorite city in the world, Los Angeles, California. Let's get into it. Yo, what is up? This is episode number seven coming to you from the I Am Studios here in the heart of Los Angeles. Let's jump right into the rundown of this week's episode. So we're going to lead off with something that happened in LA this week. And this is going to be a big segment, an important segment. There was a ferocious article in the LA Times that really painted Los Angeles in a terrible light. So I'm going to give my thoughts on that. Then I'm going to dive into what I learned, which took me back to the day I was born. I'm talking about the Children's Hospital Los Angeles. This is a good little segment here. Lastly, if you're going to do one thing in LA this weekend, do this. There's a place in the heart of the city that doesn't get enough credit for its history, and it's an awesome place to walk around with the family, really feel Los Angeles, and of course, eat some awesome food. All right, y'all, let's get into it. Okay, something that happened in LA this week. Now look, part of this is going to be graphic, so if you're listening with the family, please take note. This is important, and it is fodder for everybody, but I just want to throw that out there before we really dive in. So there was this harrowing article in the LA Times. It was entitled, LA Riders Bail on Metro Trains Amid Horror of Deadly Drug Overdoses and Crime. And while that headline is atrocious enough, the reporting by Rachel Yuranga and photos by Wally Scollage, Pulitzer Prize winner, by the way, are very eye-opening and jaw-dropping. Keep an eye on the LA in a Minute Instagram stories to see those photos and part of the article. I'm going to dive in right now. Let me read this lead from Rachel Yuranga. It was rush hour on a Tuesday afternoon and Matthew Morales made his way to a back corner seat and unfolded a tiny piece of foil with several blue shards of fentanyl. As the train started west, he heated the aluminum with a lighter and sucked in the smoke through a pipe fashioned from a ballpoint pen. Doors opened and closed. A few passengers filed in and out. A grain of the opioid fell to the floor. He concentrated on trying to pick it up then lost track as his body went limp. His shoulders slumped, and he slowly keeled forward. By the time the train arrived at the Wilshire Western Station, Morales, 29 years old, was doubled over and near motionless, his hand on the floor. The train operator walked out of the cabin, barely glancing at him as she passed, as if she encountered such scenes all the time on the metro. And this article continues with pictures of open drug use on the trains in the station, right in the open. And now there's no surprise. Drug use is rampant in the metro system, okay? Article goes into some stats. Since January of this year, not even three full months, 22 people have died on metro buses and trains, mostly from overdoses. That's more people in these first two and a half months than all of 2022 on the trains. Serious crimes such as robbery, rape, and aggravated assault soared 24% last year compared with the year previous. Man, just just trying to digest that is difficult. I mean, can it really be that bad? 
They already say that LA's public transportation is terrible, but this is straight up horrifying. And now look, I've taken the Metro E-Line to an LAFC game with my family, with my in-laws. I've taken my son on the Metro from North Hollywood to downtown. But I realized this was all before COVID. Has it really become that ghastly in the last couple years? I mean, this article is really painting that picture. I can tell you this. I did an LA in a Minute episode for Equity Transit Day, which was Rosa Parks' birthday. It's a really good promotion, by the way. You can ride the Metro for free on that day. I was excited to do the piece. Good civic pride, Los Angeles. You know, we need the mass transit. So I was excited to do that piece. But going into the station to film the piece was eerie, okay? I park in the little parking lot and walking up to it was already intimidating. I mean, there were people of, you know, all sorts out front. It wasn't exactly welcoming, but look, this is the big city. Suck it up. I mean, that's that's life. That's how it goes. So get down in there. Go down the three, four, is it even five stories that you need to go underground to get into the actual station. And being fully honest, I mean, look, as soon as I'm getting down, and these are long stairs, man, you're going way underground, the smell of urine is overwhelming. The smell of smoke, who knows what kind of smoke is overwhelming. Unhoused people, unhinged people, and it was a pretty intimidating scene, okay? And and look, maybe subconsciously being in a dark underground space automatically becomes more fear-inducing. But again, in this article, here's another quote. We don't even see any business people anymore. We don't see anybody going to Universal. It's just people who have no other choice than to ride the system, homeless people and drug users. And accordingly, we're seeing the ramifications. I mean, looking at these numbers, the ridership on the gold line, the premier line, is at 30% of pre-pandemic levels. And the red line is only at 56%. How about that new $2.1 billion Crenshaw line that was touted as a bright spot with little crime? Well, maybe that's because it's only at about 20% of the expected riders. There's only 2,100 average weekday boardings compared to the expected 10,000. So is this chicken and egg or, or how does this work? Are people not riding because LA is that city that, you know, mass transit's just never going to work or people being discouraged because these numbers are down. I mean, expectations are one thing, but even just doing a comparison, the numbers are down. Is it because of the situation down there? Well, first let's look, what is Metro doing about this? Okay. What is LA doing about this? So last year alone in 2022, transit officials committed $122 million trying to make the system, which is 105 stations and 12,000 bus stops, 105 rail stations, that is, and 12,000 bus stops. They spent $122 million trying to make the system feel safer by placing 300 unarmed ambassadors to report crimes and help passengers. 
Now, I don't want to get into policing. I will down the road. I absolutely am. There's going to be an LAPD episode of Ellie in a Minute long form that's going to be freaking awesome and it's going to be real and it's going to be honest. So I don't want to get into that quite yet. But we know there is this debate, right? Um, Over-policing is an issue, especially here in Los Angeles, but so is under-policing, right? And there's people equally opinionated on both sides and I get it. I see both, both sides. So this $122 million with the unarmed ambassadors, this is part of what officials are touting as a quote multi-layered multi-layered approach to improving a system that's becoming emptier and more dangerous over recent years. Now, keep in mind, we have sunk billions of dollars into the expansion of the rail lines, and on the surface, it is a good idea. I mean, people need to get around. Our freeways are choked. Our roads are choked. It is great in theory to have these trains and to have this ability, but you got to keep them safe. Those ambassadors, what kind of impact are they having? Well, since they're not law enforcement, they report things to law enforcement. Keep in mind, there's no active LAPD station down in these stations. And law enforcement says they can only do so much. During the final three months of 2022, LAPD made 49 arrests for drug-related offenses on the red line. In three months, that doesn't seem like that many, especially when the LA Times photographer can just go down to the station. And you're going to see these pictures again on my LA in a Minute feed and snap these pictures of drug use out in the open on the trains and the stations. Um, 49 arrests isn't that much, but they were arrests. But get this. Of those 49 arrests in the last three months of 2022, only one resulted in a criminal filing. So, I mean, again, that's a different topic, but I can tell you that that's not making me feel safe. Um, and it's downright scary. It is. Um, but is it fear? Or is it just, hey, we're in Los Angeles and we don't need these trains. I mean... This is a tough city to make your way with daily mass transit. Listen, I worked in El Segundo for three years and I was living in Valley Village. This was our first apartment after we got married. And that's one hell of a commute via car. It was an hour to get there, hour and a half to get back. You're spending two and a half hours a day in the car, wasting your life. You see your health meter just going down. It, it was, I didn't like commuting. So I looked into taking the train. I thought it was a great idea, dude. I'm kind of close to North Hollywood. What's it going to take to get me on the train down to El Segundo? Well, that commute via train would be two transfers and a little bit more than two hours. So that was a non-starter. And that was even before this, you know, I guess crime and drug wave went down on the trains. Or maybe I just didn't know about it. Maybe LA Times is just shining a light. Who knows? Um... How much of this is fear-mongering? I mean, that's a big thing in journalism these days. Sensationalism. We know that's a real issue. This article has already been challenged by the ACLU. And the ACLU shows a press release. ACLU of Southern California shows a press release on their Twitter feed from the Metro. From the Metro that claimed that ridership was up in 2022. So is this the LA Times being creative with numbers? I mean, I don't know which one's correct. And we'll get into this. But it also, the ACLU also claims that crime numbers were taken out of context and they use comparisons to 2020, the COVID year, as the baseline. So 
ridership and crime were near zero, so they had nowhere to go but up. Now, for me, for everybody, for all of us, getting it right is important. It's paramount. I mean, you don't have anything if you don't have the truth and you don't have facts. And li listen, I've always been concerned with misinformation. I'm talking since before it was called misinformation. It's just been something I'm into. I was a journalist by trade, information station. I'm just somebody who wants to get the story. And look, everybody has an agenda. You need sources on all sides and verification from real sources to find the truth. And especially for me, as LA in a minute, accuracy and truth are my currency. If you listen to LA in a minute, watch the episodes, you know that I strive to be right down the middle on everything and to be accurate with information. And this is tough, but it's important. But like I said, man, when I was down there, it was, it was a scene that I was not very comfortable with. And the truth is, I probably won't be taking my son or wife on the Metro anytime soon. I mean, look, I'm all around LA every single day going somewhere different, new, Silmar, San Pedro, Watts, Reseda, Pacific Palisades, Downey. I am everywhere in Los Angeles and I'm comfortable in this city, man. The people in Los Angeles are great. The city is great. But that Metro, when you get underground, that, that seems like a big unknown. And to me, there definitely were sensationalistic aspects to this article. I mean, the LA Times needs to make money. They need to get clicks. This thing was shared all over the place. I, I got across my desk 50 times, and it's important. But you see these images, sensationalistic or not, that's real. Wally Scullage. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, by the way. He is a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer and his work is beyond reproach. I can say this. I feel that to me, there is something disappointing about the metro system and it doesn't surprise me that ridership is down. So I have a post about this on my LA Minute feed and I want to hear from you. Be nice, be polite. We're having a dialogue. But I want your thoughts, your experiences. I know we need mass transit in LA, but is it safe? Do you feel safe? Is this article blowing it out of proportion? Have you gone on the Metro recently and had a great experience? Should I feel comfortable taking my son and my wife to crypto.com to LAFC game via Metro? Right now, I'm just not comfortable. And this article showed what I believe to be an unfortunate truth right now in Los Angeles. Okay, deep breath. Let's emotionally pivot from something harrowing to something inspirational with my What I Learned This Week segment. Here it is. So I was doing an episode. It was a collaboration with Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And this is something very personal for me, about as personal as it can get, because Children's Hospital Los Angeles saved my life. September 2nd, 1978. I was born at Valley Presbyterian Hospital in Van Nuys. Soon as I came out of the womb, there was an emergency. Couldn't breathe. I had something called meconium aspiration syndrome. Obviously, I don't remember this, and my parents had told me this. And it's an emergency lung condition that affects the breathing 
and I had to be airlifted to Children's Hospital Los Angeles that very day, the day I was born. My mom couldn't even hold me, touch me before they got me the hell out of there and into the chopper. I was airlifted via helicopter to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And this was the days before cell phones. Can you imagine how my mom must have felt? Sorry, mom. So that's the backdrop. But here's what I learned is that pediatric care is a very recent development. Prior to that, children were treated the same as adults. I'm talking like these old timey remedies as whiskey for pain relief, surgeries with no anesthesia, the same size equipment for adults and a newborn. I mean, we were all learning. We're still learning. But can you imagine this? Can you imagine them treating my little newborn lungs on that fateful day, September 2nd, 1978, with the same equipment that they'd use for somebody like Shaq? I mean, come on. So forth. So the well-being of the child previously was thought to be in the hands of the mother. And there was no discussion of children's medicine or children's specialization. And as a result, there were next to zero widespread formal institutions focused on healing children. So enter Children's Hospital. This thing has some nice history. It wasn't the first Children's Hospital. First Children's Hospital was in France. Uh, first one in the United States was in, in Philadelphia. But not long after that, Children's Hospital Los Angeles started as a concept at a YMCA meeting. There was a women's philanthropic group organization that said we need a children's hospital and the city council took it up and they said let's do it this is 1901 los angeles population of la was barely more than a hundred thousand people at this time right but the world was changing and evolving so they put up this children's hospital it was a two-story building with enough room for 14 patients <laughs> and get this the doctor the one doctor at the time would do house calls on horseback. The surgery suite was in what was the kitchen pantry when it was a house. And from those humble beginnings, Children's Hospital Los Angeles came to be one of the top children's hospitals in the world. And that includes a level one trauma center with a helipad that saved my life. So what I learned was that not only was the first children's hospital in Los Angeles a two-story house with doctors on horseback, but the reason children's hospitals exist in the first place is because children are not little adults, at least not medically, and they need to be treated in completely different fashion. And that's why we have children's hospitals. So there you go. Okay. If you're going to do one thing in LA this week, do this. Go to the original farmer's market. Don't confuse this with the Grove, even though the Grove is right next door. This is the original farmer's market. There is an incredible history here in addition to all that food, which I am going to get into. But check this out. In 1880, Arthur Fremont Gilmore bought a large 250 plus acre ranch. It was appropriately enough a farm, right? But one day when Gilmore was looking for water wells right there on what is now third in Fairfax, so he was drilling for water. He didn't find water, but he did find something else. Oil. This is right after Edward Doheny struck it rich and made LA one of the first oil towns. Gilmore was about to join the ranks and he turned his farm into the Salt Lake oil field. I do not know why he called it the Salt Lake oil field, but that's what he called it. And that's what that land was called. 
He took out so much oil that he immediately became one of the richest men in LA. But here's the thing. That oil dried up in 15 years. And though Gilmore had a ton of money, the property remained largely vacant through 1934. We're talking the height of the depression, right? This is, this is the depression. And two entrepreneurs, Fred Beck and Roger DeHilhelm, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, approached Gilmore's son, Earl Bell Gilmore, with an idea. They wanted to build a village. That was a quote, a village. At the corner of 3rd and Fairfax, where local farmers could sell their fresh fare. I mean, after all, it was a farm before it was an oil field, right? So Earl Bell Gilmore, Arthur Gilmore's son, agreed to give it, to go, give it a go. He said, entrepreneurs, let's do it. Let's partner. So in July of 1934, a dozen farmers and a few other merchants parked their trucks at the corner of 3rd and Fairfax and sold their fresh produce from the back of the trucks. And thus began the original farmer's market. But it gets even better. The first vendor, as in the longest ten tenured vendor to this day, McGee's Kitchen. Really cool little spot. Still there almost 90 years later. But Ray and Blanche McGee, talk about entrepreneurs. They'd been in business since the first day of the grand opening of the Grand Central Market in downtown in 1917. They sold gourmet nuts, nut butters, specialty food items, but they wanted to ex expand. Blanche McGee got wind of this new farmer's market on 3rd and Fairfax, and she figured all the farmers dropping off produce would want some lunch. So she filled a basket with corned beef sandwiches and other personal favorites, some of her nuts, some of her butters, and she started selling. Fast forward to 2023 and this LA institution, McGee's Kitchen is still going strong and still selling the same delicious corned beef. So check that out when you go to Original Farmer's Market. I mean, that is history. But also for me personally, don't miss Dupar's. Also at the Original Farmer's Market. Best damn pancakes in Los Angeles. I'm telling you, I used to go to that Studio City location before it became a Sephora. But those were special pancakes. And guess where that was founded? That's right. The first location of Dupar's was founded in 1938 at the LA Farmer's Market. By James Dunn and Edward Parsons, who combined their names, by the way, Dunn, Parsons, Du, Pars, to create the restaurant's name. It was a nine-seat stall, but it quick, quickly grew into becoming a successful chain with more than a dozen locations. I mean, these pancakes were, and they are so good. They are so damn good that the recipe to this day is under lock and key. They say only three people know the step-by-step -step process to craft the batter that involves hours of preparation for these amazing pancakes. So still the same recipe since 1938. Dupar's pancakes, Dupar's at the original farmer's market remains a bestseller, even though this is indeed the last remaining Dupar's. So look, farmer's market is a place for me, along with the Dodger game, that you see a full representation of Los Angeles, especially the food. So much good produce, great meat, fun treats, great vendors. And by the way, also at the farmer's market, oldest pizza in Los Angeles, Demore's, 1949. If that sounds crazy, pizza didn't get to Los Angeles until 1939 at Casa de But that place is no longer in existence. So the oldest pizza in Los Angeles is Demore's, the original farmer's market. So that is our show. 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of In a Minute with Evan Lovett. Enjoy your day, your weekend, your week. Don't forget to subscribe and give a five-star rating. It really helps, and I do appreciate it. Working hard, trying to get better, get tighter every episode. Think we got something good going. And lastly, send the podcast to a few of your friends. It'll mean a lot to me. All right, y'all. It's been a minute.